0: Hello and welcome to the Symmetry Sessions podcast. I'm your host, Heather McPaul. Join me for in-depth, down-to-earth, and casual conversations about all things healthy, wealthy, and wise. We delve into topics related to therapy, mental health, relationships, business, and more with guests from all walks of life. And even though I am a professionally licensed counselor, this is just a show. And the information presented is just for informational educational purposes only. It's definitely not meant to replace getting professional help from a doctor or a therapist. So please seek that help from a qualified healthcare professional if you need it. And if it is an emergency, please call 988 988- or other appropriate emergency services. I'm very excited to bring to you a variety of amazing guests and topics. So let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to The Symmetry Sessions. In this podcast, we've talked about lasting friendships and necessary ingredients for connection. But today joining me to go in depth about friendships and even venture into the realm of frenemies is returning guest and close friend, Dr. Danielle Taylor. Welcome back, Danielle.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me back. Really excited I... to have a, do a deep dive into uh, yeah. friends and frenemies.
0: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so let's start with what is a frenemy? I mean, I feel like most people get the concept, but really what does it mean?
1: That's a great that's a good question. And I think there are plenty of definitions out there. So for me, a frenemy is somebody who does not want to see you win. That's how I would describe it and define it. And there are lots of different characteristics that go along with that. But this is just a person who does not have your best interests in mind. um, And they really are not in, you know, in your corner. They're, they're not an actual source of constructive, you know, loving, compassionate support. How would you define a frenemy?
0: Hmm, I was thinking about Mean Girls a little bit, like that sort of, um, uh, immature, um, yeah, competition thing. Mm -hmm. Doesn't you and is a good, yeah. And I, and it made me start to think, because when I was thinking about, well, how do I define it? And the mean girls thing came up because I've known plenty of adults who still act like middle schoolers in that way. Um, it made me curious about the gender part of this, right? Because um, I feel like, i I guess I'm curious if men have this experience too.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder that as well. We know that the nature of men's and women's friendships uh, tend to be different. And I want to highlight here that right now we are both speaking as to you know cisgender um, right. women. So we're really speaking about our own lived experiences and much of the research that exists on these kinds of relationships centers around um, cisgender, you know, men, cisgender, you know, women, and it does exclude other, um, other people's experiences. So I just want to own and acknowledge that, that this, yeah. this is, um, yeah, the, the focus is, is narrow and could certainly use to be broadened, but yeah. what's out there suggests that in men's, um, heterosexual cisgendered male friendships, the focus tends to be on common activities. So, this is you know getting together, maybe playing in a basketball league together, uh game night, something like that, and there's less emotional intimacy, whereas in you know cisgender heterosexual women's relationships, there tends to be more emotional intimacy, more sharing about uh, life experiences, processing of emotions, and less focus necessarily on you know shared activities there there could be shared interest activities but that's not typically the center of the relationship. It's usually more of the emotional intimacy. So when we look at some of the patterns in those relationships, we do find more relational aggression in relationships that involve, you know, cisgender um, women. And, you know, often more if there's conflict in cisgender male relationships, more physical aggression might be possible. When we're looking within, like the bullying domain, which a frenemy really is a, it is a covert kind of bullying. To to my mind, it's sort of the, the like you mentioned, Mean Girls, Heather. It's like the grown up air quotes grown up version of of mean girls you know people learn over time that certain things being expressed overtly it's not socially acceptable so they find these more passive aggressive subtle ways so i don't i uh, don't know if there is any specific research on frenemies but extrapolating from what's out there about relationships and and bullying which actually used to be that was what my dissertation was on. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time researching bullying and um and uh, friendships and relationships. So yeah, yeah let's talk about know.
0: like some of the subtle ways that that frenemies um because it's interesting, right? You know, w- with those definitions who would want to be f- you know close to someone like that, but because there are oh, uh, you know covert um Mannerisms, things that we don't always pick on. What pick up on? What are those? What are some of those subtleties that um, infiltrate?
1: <laughs> yeah, I I would say the most important and often overlooked one is how you feel when you're around the person mm-hmm. after you've spent time with the person, or when you're anticipating spending time with the person that can be an incredibly helpful source of information and especially if you notice that felt sense for you is different about that person than it is about other people there might be something that you know your gut is really trying to tell you about about that relationship that maybe you're not consciously picking up on Mm -hmm. so that's something i'd really recommend is like tuning into that sense so what might you feel um, when you're gonna see a frenemy, or after you've seen one, or even while you're together, so often it can be things like feeling drained, maybe mm-hmm. feeling a sense of of anxiety or dread, um, just feeling kind of icky um, before, during, or after the interaction, or, or just like something is off, something doesn't feel comfortable. And then if you have a relationship that does feel really safe, you know, just noticing how do you feel before, during, and after those interactions. And of course, we're all human, right? So like we all drain people at sometimes, we don't necessarily mean to, but it's just the nature of things. Relationships are not always 50-50. So we're really talking about looking for patterns of behavior, patterns of experiences over time. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of um, one of the, analogies or metaphors that I use with clients of mine to explain that feeling of being depleted energetically around people is um, from the TV show on Hulu. um, uh, Oh, gosh, what is it called? The show with the vampires. Um, Oh, what we do in the shadows. Yeah. (laughs) Colin Robinson (laughs) and that girl that Colin Robinson meets, and I can't remember her name right now. He's a energy vampire she's an emotional vampire Mm -hmm. um but just the reactions that people have around them they just (laughs) and it's such a because everybody knows somebody like that too
1: absolutely yes so yeah evie is colin robinson's on again off again uh, emotional energy vampire girlfriend and yeah that's that's a fantastic analogy because You can, you know, really feel like that after you've been around somebody. And again, we're looking at, you know, do you feel like that the majority of the time? I would say another important indicator is the person's reaction to your success as opposed to the person's reaction to you know, times when you're experiencing difficulty. So I think something that often um, gets people in these sort of relationships or keeps them in the relationships is because maybe this person is, is really willing to pick up the phone um, whenever you're having a tough time because they, you know, enjoy, you don't realize this at the time, but they enjoy hearing about your, your drama, not because they want to help you. They they uh, enjoy that you're having difficulties and challenges because maybe it makes them feel better about themselves, or it's just sort of like it's you know this sounds callous, but it's like it's for sport, like it's in, it's entertainment for them, and mm-hmm. you're reading it as support because they're they're there and they're listening. But then when you share good news. They are maybe very dismissive, or they quickly change the subject to themselves, um, or they might ignore it entirely. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people will even, in in like very unbelievable ways, they'll like turn the situation around and and be upset with you um, about whatever you shared.
0: Yeah. So.
1: That's another, another really big one. Uh, Just, just noticing in your relationships, like who can you share your losses with and your wins Um, and in a healthy friendship, there should be equal amount of space and support for both of those.
0: Yeah, I certainly think that misery loves company. Yes. Um, I think that's so true. And sometimes if we're in a bad space, that can be what the relationship is all about is commiserating. Um, but the minute that someone starts to get clarity or become healthier, I think that's when you start to notice really the the difference in reaction that they're no longer next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something threatening about 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 you getting healthier or being successful or something like that. And I've certainly had experiences like that where. Uh, somebody's tried to sabotage something that was good that was happening for me Mm -hmm. or, you know, became very spiky, one word answers, not really, you know, engaging anymore. Um, And, you know, I think this could go down the rabbit hole as we usually do, but there are certain, I think, predispositions for people to end up in situations where they might get be close to a frenemy, or Mm -hmm. think that's what friendship is. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you've had um, dynamics like that at home, then uh, that would seem very normal to be in something like that. But I think the biggest thing is that some of these subtleties, what's really happening here is that um, if we ignore them, it shows that, you know, we're lacking a sense of worth, a sense of, Deserving better than that,
1: absolutely. And there's, it's, it's demonstrating maybe, and it's not necessarily true that there's a lack of self-respect, but maybe that's what's being how it's being read by the other person. You know, you're maybe being um, compassionate or trying to make a relationship work, and the other person is receiving that as, oh, this is somebody that I can kind of have mm-hmm. some control over, um, and you know also i think it's all about boundaries right so this would be another thing so again remembering we're all human we're all going to do things that upset one another at times but what happens when you set a boundary with somebody right mm-hmm. so somebody makes it something says makes a comment that's allegedly a joke and then you know in front of other people or maybe not in front of other people but it often is in front of other people and you go to them afterwards to process about it. H- how do they respond? And that can be a big indicator um, as to whether or not this is a you know healthy friendship or if this is a frenemy situation. So again, if the person cannot hold space for your feedback about your experience of something that they said, or if they, you know, are are dismissive, pretend that they forgot about it, it's not a big deal, shut down, stonewall you by ignoring you. You know, those are all signs that, you know, this pe- person could potentially, you know, be in front of me territory. And similar thing like if you set boundaries around uh, contact, th- this is a big one. So going back to like the misery loves company thing. Mm. So sometimes, right when you're going through a tough time in life, you might be reaching out a lot to somebody. And maybe you and a friend are calling each other all the time, you know, swap, like swapping, you know, stories of uh, tales of woe. Um, And we all need that at times. But you might notice that somebody is always taking up like multiple hours of your day with tales of woe. They're not really doing anything to support their own growth or to find other sources of support. And then when you set a boundary around uh, contact, like, how much time you spend talking or when you talk then that person might just really evaporate from your life. So um I'll or, share I have or be oh, persistent. Or be persistent, right? Like they might like I- increase the intensity. I call it
0: barnacling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? They might yeah, for sure. So some that's and that's a great point Heather. So it's like some sort of um boundary violation one way or the other if you say yeah hey i'm really busy today like i can i'm only can like text and i can talk tomorrow at three o'clock and then they're like blowing your phone up calling um or they might just vanish you know i've actually uh, had that experience with a relationship where i had somebody who was calling me all the time asking me for advice about their child and the child was involved in a, a bullying situation and so i was giving them you know tangible steps of things to try And they kept calling and asking the same questions. They weren't putting anything into place. Um, And this was over a period of months. And so I stopped answering the phone when they would call. And then I would like call back at a designated time. And I would typically start the call by saying, hey, I only have 20 minutes to talk. Well, after a couple of times of me doing that, they they literally never called me again. (laughs) And it, it just was. It sort of shocked me how cu- how quickly that changed, but when they w- weren't able to get what they wanted from me on demand when they wanted it, then the relationship dissolved. It wasn't working yeah. for them. So, And that's another characteristic of an unbalanced relationship or unhealthy connection is that one person. Is really trying to get specific things from the other person. You know, it's not right. about the experience of being connected as humans and enjoying, maybe enjoying is not the right, right word, but sharing about this experience, you know, of uh, being humans, being alive together, sometimes enjoying things, sometimes having struggles. It's about, I have this relationship to get. X, Y, and Z, and that might not even be yeah. fully conscious. I, I want no. I don't think it that. is a
0: lot of the yeah. time. And I think about one particular um, client of mine, and this is an ongoing discussion, exploration, whatever. But you know, one of the things that we've had to explore is the difference between being nice and being kind. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, nice is a doormat. Kind is firmly stating your. Um, your boundaries in a compassionate way, and I think, um, it's so, a lot of times you hear the um, that our culture, um, especially for women, I feel like value niceness over kindness, and so a lot of people, a lot of women specifically, get caught up in these situations where they feel like they, and to your point before, no, it's not just about. People who have a lack of self esteem or something like that. Sometimes it's that there's mm-hmm. a vulnerability because they think they have to be nice,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or they want to be nice, and um, and that gets taken advantage of. Because I, I don't know if it's an odor or what it is, but I feel like if you have vulnerabilities, these kind of people that you know that we're talking about frenemies, they just smell that shit a mile away. Yeah,
1: I, I I totally hear that and a couple things that I've I've learned over the years. The first thing is it's not that people who have um you know, self selfish intent, you know, like you know who might operate sort of as frenemies or maybe have narcissistic qualities, it's not that they are like attracted to certain people always or that certain people are attracted to them it's just that certain people allow them to stay in their lives right so Mm -hmm. there's you know there's sort of things out there about you know law of attraction and manifestation and things like that that if if we have repeated encounters with frenemies or with narcissists that it's because we're attracting them and it's like no it's just that that some people allow them to take up space in their lives for longer and the reasons why are like things that you mentioned maybe there's some previous familial experience or other experience some other vulnerabilities i think people in our fields uh can be susceptible because we're used to holding expa- holding space for people with all sorts of lived experiences i yeah. mean you know the kinds of things that are shared in sessions and that we Meet with compassion and openness, I think puts us in a particularly vulnerable place sometimes, even if we don't have our own trauma histories because we're just accustomed to to being supportive and understanding and and so that's why it's so important to be really clear on what our boundaries are and what our needs are in relationships and to to be able to more quickly discern whether or not somebody. Um, is able to be part of that kind of relationship based on where they are in their journey.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think as therapists, everybody's sort of attracted to that. When I mean, you tell somebody what you do for a living immediately, they're like, well, let me tell you about this thing that happened to me, or, or what do you think I should do about this kid that I have or whatever. But so, yes, it makes sense that um, that that's just kind of part of maybe how we get stuck in that as therapists sometimes
1: yeah and people so many people feel so invisible and so you know unheard and un you know unvalidated that when they there's some sort of a a a potential that someone's going to be a source of that i i do see that there's a sense that there's a tendency to maybe unload and and overshare in general because your assumption is that person is a safe space right so Mm -hmm. even if even if that isn't an individual's like typical mo like to your point when somebody knows you're a therapist they might feel more comfortable sharing stuff because there is that deep deep desire to be seen heard sensed understood you know validated
0: i mean at this point in our in our world today like right now i don't even know that it takes a an awareness of say Safe space anymore. I think everybody's just so traumatized; they're just unloading mm-hmm. wherever they can.
1: Yeah, it definitely that sense of discernment about what's safe and what isn't safe has um, has diminished in in some mm. ways. Yeah, and I, I think that you know when we're talking about again, like healthy healthy connections and and less healthy connections, any sort of imbalance like that is important to notice too, you know, if there's not room for you in an interaction or in a relationship and everything always is focusing on the other person or you try to bring something to the table and it always goes back to the other person um, without any room for you, then then that could be a sign that there's an issue. I want I, think- I want to offer one caveat, yeah. which is if you have connections with people who have neurodivergent traits, you know one of the things that's out there that's like oh if someone shares something with you don't immediately bring up a relatable story many people who experience neurodivergence do that as a way of relating so Mm -hmm. i would just be mindful to not use that as sort of a a blanket um tool in evaluating the quality of a relationship um especially if you point out to the person talking about setting boundaries like you know if you mention to them you know, I appreciate when you share stories about your experience, but I'd really like you to just listen to mine right now and whether or not they're able to do that will give you a lot of, you know, helpful information, but I do just want to share that that's very common.
0: Yeah. And, and to piggyback on that, I will also say that, um, having worked with a lot of daughters of narcissists, um, one of the things, and, um, I'll put the book in the show notes, cause I can't remember the author at the moment, but, um, the the saying like if you lay down with dogs you're going to get fleas oftentimes daughters of narcissists and and i'm generalizing here because it's probably also um children of narcissists but um, because you're raised by somebody who doesn't have any relational awareness um, isn't very present um, only reverts back to themselves sometimes daughters of children of narcissists can get stuck doing that because that was what was modeled for them not Mm -hmm necessarily because that's how they are but because that's what they learned and um, so yeah there are some nuances about how this might look and so how do we not jump to conclusions
1: that's a, a an important question and i i think a lot of it has to do with asking for what we need in our relationships and seeing how the other that lands for the other person Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, are we able to to give feedback without feeling afraid of how that's going to land? Are we open to receiving feedback? You know, we also want to make sure we're not being, being frenemies. And when I say feedback, I mean something that's constructive and focused on growth that comes from a place of kindness and p- compassion. So not criticism, not digs, not, um, you know, passive aggressive comments, but You know, if somebody says says to you, hey, you know, when you said this, it made me feel this way, Um, or I felt upset about after our conversation the other day, you know, are you able to be open to that? And is the other person able to be open to hearing the same? Uh, I think that can really provide a lot of clarity about where both of you are in the relationship and what's the nature of what's happening. Um, Another thing that can be helpful is modeling what what it is that you're looking for so and then asking for the same so for example i definitely have a part of me that when someone shares something that i can relate to i'm like oh i want to share something too so they feel less alone um especially when if they've had an experience that can feel pretty isolating so i try to ask you know i try to say Hey, you know, do you want to hear something related or do you ju- would you just like me to listen right now or you know, even asking would you just like for me to listen or are you interested in like some thoughts I have of what you could do? Um it can feel awkward at first asking those kinds of questions or asking your friends to interact with you that way too, but it really clears up a lot of it prevents a lot of like miscommunications and and hurt feelings where Sometimes you just want to vent, you know. Sometimes you do feel really alone and you want to hear from someone else that they've experienced something similar. And sometimes you're trying to figure out what to do and you want, you know, you want help solving a problem. So I think clearly communicating on those fronts can really help. And again, seeing how people respond to your requests, knowing that everyone's different and they might need a little bit of time to process what you've asked them for. Right. So don't take if someone imme- if someone isn't immediately able to shift gears that doesn't mean they're a frenemy they they might just need a little more space
0: yeah or processing time or something like that mm-hmm. i it, it's interesting i i love that you do that by the way that the asking And, um, in the focus oriented therapy training that I've been doing recently, one of the things that they say is they help us practice being the listener and being the share. And when you're the listener, um, you wait till the very end to say, would you like a reflection from me? Mm -hmm. And that it's totally okay if the person's like, no, I really don't. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, it, so. I I like that, that checking in of like, is this okay with you if I share my perspective on that or how mm-hmm. that makes me feel or, you know, something like that, because I think too often, and I think we're all guilty of that at some point, it's like just the vomiting back and forth, which is a terrible <laughs> metaphor, but... Yeah, absolutely.
1: There's, yeah, there can be a lot of like story swapping. And I, and I have Mm. some friends that that's exclusively our relationship. Like we will literally been friends for many, many years and we will literally just be swapping the weekly woes and that's okay. Right? Like that's the space that friendship is in. We're both, we're both contributing the same thing in the same way. And we're, we're good with that. And, and I don't know that this is necessarily about spotting a friend of me, but just talking about like healthy relationships, like mm-hmm. different relationships are going to, m- you know, meet different sorts of wants and needs in your life. And not sure. every friendship has to be this, you know, really deep connection, y- you mm-hmm. can have friendships that, you know, um, support your journey and support the other person's journey in different kinds of ways. And that's, Totally okay. I, I think what gets gets the things in a little bit of a dicey territory is when the two people in the the relationship have t- different ideas about what the relationship is. So maybe one person's investing a lot more, one person feels a lot closer than the other person. Um, and when you start having like a significant imbalance, that's when there can be you know some challenges and and some difficulties. Um, that, you know, might come into play.
0: Yeah. What other subtleties might there be? Did we cover all of them?
1: I think we, we covered many of them, right? We covered, oh, we didn't talk about the classic backhanded compliment. Mm. Um, (laughs) I know we mentioned passive aggression, but backhanded compliments are, are a big one uh, that you might see in an unhealthy friendship and it's, it's really tough because those sorts of things can be difficult to call out and again a lot of it just has to do with how what the person said made you feel like if you just notice a lot of times that the comments people are making about you or towards you just make you feel uncomfortable trust that right Mm. so i'll share i'll share an example i often wear a lot of like neutral colored clothing and i went into work one day and i was wearing pink and a co-worker a former co-worker turned around and looked at me and said oh she's finally wearing some color and so me being me i said well i love kicking my morning off with a nice passive aggressive uh, compliment and the person then became very upset and, you know, I, I wasn't being passive aggressive. I wasn't, you know, and I was just saying that I like the color of your shirt. And I, I just said, well, I, w- I wish that you would have said that instead. Yeah. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. I'm laughing because, you know, of course, I, a part of me chose in that moment to highlight that to that person. I want to add for context for our listeners that this was a person that I saw engaging in relational aggression with a, another co-worker at work Mm -hmm. on a pretty regular basis and they back and forth um, where they were making comments about one another's appearance all the time, making comments about one another's age, about the way their offices smelled. I mean, so this was like an ongoing, an ongoing (laughs) thing. And then when so when that sort of comment was made to me, I thought, yeah, I'm gonna set, I'm, I'm gonna set a boundary here um, and highlight what's being said in the moment. Um, should I have made a sarcastic joke back? You know, maybe not. Maybe I should have just said, what do you mean by that, right? Yeah. So, you know, as a psychologist, I would advise that you say something like, what do you mean by that? Or, you know, um, that made me feel uncomfortable. So mm. yeah, don't do not do like, don't do as I, I did. do but...
0: meet meet them where they're at with that. Cause yeah. Although sometimes a, it's hard not yeah. to.
1: I have a part that in the face of those things likes to, likes to be like clever, you know, and likes to make like a little clever comment here or there. So,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another example or they, you know, they just do things that, um, that are hurtful. So I'll, I'll share um, another example from somebody I know. So um, I knew somebody who really struggled with, Uh, like uh, an eating and exercise disorder, they had been incredibly underweight at one point. And so they had a friend that they would like, this friend also had issues in the same area and they would sometimes like give each other, you know, clothes from their wardrobe that, you know, was still in good condition, but they didn't wear anymore. And so as this this person was getting healthier, they were like, you know, um, in their process, they were gaining weight that they needed to gain. This frenemy gave this person a bag of clothes, and all of the clothes in the bag were clearly too small for the person. So the person at that point was probably like, you know, I, I'm not going to even name sizes, but they were at a healthier size, and this person gave them for their body gave them clothes that were clearly like three sizes, you know, too small, and were like mm. an incredibly small size of clothes. So so that's that's like another another example and then it's easy for the person to sort of you know wiggle out of it by saying like oh well i thought i thought that was still your size you know Mm. um, even though based on clear you know visual observation it wasn't so um just any kind of stuff like that if you feel like somebody is doing things saying things creating situations where they are commenting on your appearance, existence, um, way of being in a way that is, you know, critical and unhelpful and is really, you know, highlighting your struggles, putting you down, um, especially in front of other people is a common tactic. And um, All of those things can be signs of, you know, an unhealthy connection, you know, AKA a frenemy.
0: Yeah. And I don't even think it has to be that um uh passive aggressive or or covert i mean some people are just more out about it i i think that when there are one of the things i think people can look out for is like when there are big occasions in your life i've always felt like um weddings and funerals really bring out the frenemy in people And in my own wedding, I remember a particular person who was supposed to be in the bridal party um, was not in the bridal party because she told me literally, literally, I can't be happy for you. Wow. Yeah. Um, That was the beginning of the end for that. But um, yeah, some people aren't that subtle Mm -hmm. Um, and yet sometimes people still don't. It doesn't compute.
1: Mm-hmm. First, I want to say I'm really sorry that to hear that you had that experience, and it sounds very uncomfortable at a minimum, and, and <laughs> likely painful. It's, it is, yeah. That that was a, a good thing to bring up. Uh, you know how people respond to important events in your life, or mm-hmm. any sort of important, you know, milestone or benchmark or or party. Um, another one connected to that in the less subtle realm sometimes you'll schedule something like a party or a baby shower or something and then a person will schedule something on the same exact day oh, you know yeah. or yeah. you know they'll they'll do they'll do listeners out there okay if you're attending somebody's wedding and you want to propose to your significant other please no. do it at their wedding no
0: <laughs> big faux pas.
1: Right. Like, and I get it that some people do things like that innocently, but you're shifting the focus from that person, that couple. And don't wear day. white.
0: That's a big thing for me. Yeah. Don't right. wear, I, don't, don't yeah. do it.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Please honor the cultural traditions of the, you know, the ceremony that you're attending and, and wearing, mm. wearing white for many weddings is an, is a no, unless you're the bride. <laughs> mm. Um. You know, don't, you know, don't announce that you're pregnant at somebody else's, you know, at someone's engagement party or wedding, you know, like, it just it's thunder stealing, you know, is, yeah. is what I would say, you know, I connected like to what you shared. Um, there's plenty of thunder to go around, right? If we can shift out of this scarcity mindset. Um, so as far as like, what's something that we can do, mm. growing up in a capitalist society, where we are taught to believe that there isn't enough of anything that's what we're taught even you know there's not enough love there's not enough friendship there's not enough attention that's you know and that creates a scarcity mindset and i will speak from my lived experience as a, a woman who was born um, in the the early 80s and so grew up in 80s 90s you know coming of age in the early aughts we were actively taught to compete with other women You know, we were really taught that there was only room in many settings and spaces for like a handful of women. And so in various ways, socially, academically, the competition that I observed amongst women up through, you know, my college years was absolutely fierce. Like I didn't know. I I really thinking back on college, it was like almost everyone in, in like each academic department like the the women who were really bright so many of them had other women who were also really bright and they were like mortal enemies just on account of the fact that they they both existed <laughs> you know it's not like there was any sort of personal um issues between them it was just like well i'm really smart and they're really smart and we're in the same academic major and there's only room for one of us it's almost like if any of the listeners have uh, seen the movie, like The Highlander, those movies where it's like there can only be one, you know, that was a lot of. There was a lot of like overt and covert messaging, um, in in my generation, in my lived experience for women that there was really only room for one of us, yeah. um, and that we had to compete for men, we had to compete for status, again, we had to compete for love. So anyway, that also exists for other other genders this isn't just exclusive to women but since we're kind of talking a lot about female you know cisgender hetero friendships um that really contributes to that so when we can notice the ways in which we're holding on to that scarcity mindset and we're allowing that to drive relationships that can be um a really important turning point you know to realizing that we can we can all win and if we work together and collaborate and support each other in pursuing, you know, our dreams, whatever they may be, that we're going to be better off than cutting each other down, competing, all of those kinds of things. So I think just noticing where scarcity mindset shows up for ourselves, noticing the times when all of us as humans, when we see somebody else in real life or on social media, and we notice some sort of a pang of of jealousy or discontent, like really turning towards what's there, you know, mm. the, the, the hurt that's there within each of us. Mm-hmm. I think, I think the better that we can be aware of those things within ourselves, um, and, and tend to that pain, the better we can show up in our relationships. And also, if another friend is willing and wants to, um, we can offer a supportive safe space when we notice somebody trying to create that kind of dynamic with us so that was a long long long-winded answer
0: (laughs) yeah no i like that because um i've had a conversation with a close friend of mine about previous experiences where i could not share good things Mm -hmm. and because of that the trauma the trauma reaction now is hey and i did this to you earlier hey Couldn't you receive, like, can you listen to something good that happened to me? <laughs> because it's happened way too many times where I've gone to share that with another woman. And all they could think of was how they're not in that space and how, you know, whatever, jealousy, whatever pops up for them. And I remember having this conversation with my one friend and and we were talking about that around something I had shared, I forget. And she was like, well, initially... I felt like a little thing of like, Ooh, I wish that was me too. But then I came back to being present with you because that's awesome. Or I don't even know what we're talking about, but, and I think that, you know, of course we can all acknowledge we're all human. Like we're all going to be like, Oh damn, (laughs) I wish that was me too. Or, or, Oh, that's so cool. I wish I could have that. Um, but as you know, but admitting that and then Mm -hmm. being able to return back to being present is, I mean, yeah, that's what it's about. Instead of just staying in that place of like, um, well, now I hate you because you have this and I don't, it's not Mm. a competition. Exactly.
1: No, definitely. And there's, there's a way for all of us to win. There, There, there really is. Now, is it harder for some people to quote unquote win? Of course, because, the game was designed by a particular group of people for them to win so it is yes it is i was gonna say the
0: the global cult
1: (laughs) (laughs) right so it is harder like the interesting thing though is that a lot of times um part of what helps People, the people that the game was designed for, part of what helps them keep winning is that the people that the game wasn't designed for are really busy attacking each other yeah, in the background. Exactly. Right? So that really keeps the playing field very clear for for those people that designed the system and benefit most from the, you know, air quotes of the system. Um, so, yeah, there, you know, there is space for all of us, there's room for it. So it's like every time we notice ourselves, minimizing ourselves, minimizing our own internal experiences, minimizing our own, you know, gut sense, all that stuff. If we continue to do that and turn away from ourselves, the more likely that we're going to do that to other people. So this is really the kind of thing that, that starts with us as far as our ability to show up in a healthy way in relationships and also to notice when something is off and then trust that notice you know
0: yeah and i i think one of the biggest things is when you've done the internal work on yourself even if you fall into one of these things where you have a reaction in the frenemy zone Mm -hmm. um it's all about the repair right it's all about owning it and repairing it and saying hey i had this moment and um and um and that we should be able to do that in an adult relationship
1: absolutely i'm glad that you you mentioned that because uh, with all relationships there will be ruptures that is inevitable and it's really an opportunity for the relationship to grow and evolve, but it does depend on the repair and the ability of both people to see what they contributed to it. Right, the contributions might be, you know, might be very different, and for people to be accountable and open and willing and interested, invested in making changes and and shifting. You know, mm-hmm. I, I this is a this is actually a different kind of frenemy spin right so we've talked a lot about frenemies being sort of like actively terrible okay yes very clinical term right so <laughs> front is like actively doing stuff that's like unkind and considerate um but another thing that you might see in a frenemy dynamic is that you mess up right on account of our humanness on account of the fact that we you know we do all get activated by different things and you know we're not we're not always able to show up as our best. So let's say that you have a misstep and then you reach out to the person and you own that and you want to repair, you know, it's like, Hey, I, I realized that what I did, um, was not okay. Like, um, I don't know exactly how it landed for you, but I'm, you know, hypothesizing X, Y, and Z I'm not okay with operating like that. So these are the steps like I've already taken to work on this. Um, You know, I'm just wondering if there's any way that like we can connect, walk through this repair, um, and then sometimes people will just pretend there was no issue and then fade out of your life, and that is a total frenemy tactic, right? Like, because if a person didn't want you in their life anymore, which is totally okay, they can decide that, but if you have a relationship with somebody and you make a misstep, the expectation is that there would either be some opportunity for repair or there would be some kind of acknowledgement that, you know, this just isn't a good fit for me anymore. Like I, you know, I don't want to be friends. Um, but there often isn't that, and there's actually a whole body of work out there that I'm less familiar with about like friends ghosting each other and like and, and unresolved friend breakups and how mm-hmm. it comes from the same place as, you know, people ghosting in romantic relationships like this this paucity of ability to hold space for repair. Um, -hmm. and yeah, that's really hurting all of our relationships because there's always going to be rupture. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's another way a friend of me might show up. It's like, as soon as you've offended them in some way, they're, they're out.
0: Yeah. And, but it's interesting, right. To think about, um, is that really what's happening? Um, because I feel like everybody's like, but me first, right? Mm -hmm. You need to apologize to me, Mm -hmm. um, without having any clarity about how we've contributed, each contributed to the relationship. And I know that it probably has seemed to people that I have ghosted people in the past, but actually I feel like I'm one of those people that takes a long time to process, what do I want here? And I've always learned, especially how I grew up, that I need distance to be able to be clear mm-hmm. and make a decision, and also just be open to whatever it's going to be. um But I do think that people get stuck in this like me first thing, and I think that shows that first of all, the relationship isn't working for either of us yeah. if that's how it's going.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely, yeah, and I I think there's a lot of value in communicating to people you're in relationships with about how you operate you know yeah. like about about how you work or what's happening for you a little bit of proactive communication really goes a long way you know if you if you need space to process or if you you know i know sometimes when i'm when i know i'm going to be really busy during the day when typically maybe i would be available intermittently I will try to let people know like, hey, I've got like a wild day today, so if you don't hear from me, that's why, because, you know, not every single person I know, but <laughs> people who I'm in regular contact with, because I don't, you know, you, you want to let people know where you're coming from. And there's no, there's no upside to have somebody guessing and feeling uncertain, right? Like how, how does that serve you? And how does that really like, you know, serve the other person? So I, and I think there's a difference. I think there's also a difference between relationships where there have been really like repeated rupture without full closure, like both mm. parties fully participating in closure and, and what happens to maybe the one party who is trying to, to, to repair and the other person isn't being involved and mm. situations where it's like a single incident, like a seemingly small single incident oh, rupture, yeah. you know, and sure. then the other person just being like, You know, no explanation, just kind of like vanishing, right? That that's like a that's like a ghost. You know, yeah. If you're taking space after a series of incidents, that's not a ghosting. You know,
0: right? And I remember you and I talking a long time ago about. I always say, like, especially when dealing with like narcissistic people or egocentric people. Like you have to know your audience too. Yeah. Like, are they even going to be able to absorb what you're saying? Sometimes that having a conversation isn't even worth the energy.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn that over time based on your interactions with them. Um, yeah. And sometimes, sometimes it isn't. I'll often, when I've found myself in situations like that, I'll, I'll connect with you know my parts and and really get the sense of okay, are do you want to communicate because you want to use your voice to express something regardless of response or outcome
0: mm-hmm.
1: or do you want to communicate because you're hoping that the other person will do say act X, y z way mm-hmm. you know, and so if I get a sense that it's like the communication is designed to to have some it's like dependent on some sort of response then i'll normally do some more work internally if it's at a place where it's like this is something i just really want to express regardless of whether there's any response at all or if you know the response is hostile whatever this is just something that that we feel we need to express then i will go go ahead and express it like and and that's i'm talking about like in a relationship that's really like on its last legs, you know, or where there's been, you know, a series of ruptures or like one single incident really significant rupture, um something like that and there have yeah. been no attempts to repair. But other relationships like we do things all the time that rupture, annoy, <laughs> you know, irritate, like challenge and and in safe relationships we can share that with the other person when we find something's really like sticking for us, even if even if a a component of why it's sticking for us is because something in us is activated, right? Right, Sure. If we're in a if we're in like a a loving, compassionate connection, shouldn't you shouldn't you
0: care that something is activated? Yeah, Yeah, you know, you're touching (laughs) (laughs) on Yeah, you're I mean, you keep touching on a, a word keeps popping up and it's the word agenda, right? Yeah, like yeah. You know, going into a relationship and having an agenda for what it's supposed to be like to serve you is probably a frenemy type of perspective, right? 100%. But also um uh approaching that rupture approaching that frenemy like what is the agenda f- for you in that and so it's really about like how are we showing up and why
1: <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely and it really is about really knowing yourself and what works for you and what doesn't and having boundaries and expectations Yeah. and having space for different relationships to to be different yeah you know and just being discerning about those who are, who are closest to you, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, really making sure that what each of you are bringing to the dynamic is what you're both looking for and that there's yeah. room for growth and, and evolution. And that means room for rupture repair, um, you know, and, and ongoing change. And that can feel really scary for people because there's this, this you know misnomer out there that like relationships are only valuable when they stay the same and they last forever right you know we mm-hmm. hear so often that it's like you know what kinds of marriages are celebrated oh the people who were married for you know 65 years and you know but you have no <laughs> clue what the interior of that no. marriage looked like and i i think the more again i'm focusing so much on our own inner work but it's like the more we give ourselves space to be dynamic Um, and changing, the more space we can allow our relationships to do that, too. And so we don't get so attached to the idea of what a friendship is supposed to be. And I think it just makes it easier to invite the things in that really work for you, uh, recognize the things that don't work for you, and to let those things go without trying so hard to make them work.
0: Yeah. Um, I had a client the other day say, keep your enemies close. Right. And I was like, no, Now, first of all, I'm too old for that shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that there is something to be said about, you know, a a sense of maturity coming from doing your own inner work and just realizing, like you said, like this shit doesn't, it's not what I want, you know, Mm. or, or, or this is what I want, or, you know, really knowing what your friendship should look like
1: mm-hmm.
0: um it's funny it you know in episode 14 when i talked to um, my friend susanna about how why how did we be how are we still friends after 30 35 years whatever whatever it's been one of the key things that we talk about is being flexible though mm-hmm. right because you have to allow people to evolve but if if i think for me the You know sort of non-negotiable or whatever you want to call it is that if you're not evolving yeah you know if you're still stuck in and you're not creating change and you're not you know um you know i'm too far far ahead on the path it's just not going to jive and it's not even personal but many of the friends that i've had to give up over the years it was never out of malice i was never Mm -hmm. You know, I was hurt and that made a part of me angry, but I was never mad at the person because this is just where you're at and love and light, man. But like, that's not for me.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And a friendship can be, any relationship can be a beautiful thing. It can be an incredible experience that contributes to your growth. That's an important part of your journey and it can end and it can still be all those things sure you you know just because something ends doesn't detract from the value of the experience that you had For sure. and and agreed right like so when you're conscious of the reality that life is about transition and change and so you can you can make two roughly two choices you can choose to be an active participant in that uh-huh or you can choose to just passively be tossed and it you know it does become very difficult to maintain meaningful connections with people who are not you know they don't have the same yeah that don't have the same philosophy in life right so if you are doing your best to like actively show up participate be conscious be awake live you know live mindfully consciously and you, you have connections with people who just want to get by, right? That's going to become a significant mismatch over time. And that's okay that they just want to get by. That's their, you know, that's their choice. And you can, you can honor that and respect it and know that that means that likely the, the relationship dynamic is going to shift over time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would just close with what I started with, which is just pay attention to how it feels to be Mm -hmm. around the person And trust that, you know, we, we often question our, our gut instincts and they are there and real, you know, for a reason. Yes, it can be important to sometimes to, to back that up with more information or more experience, but if you're consistently walking away from interactions with somebody and just feeling exhausted or sad or uncomfortable, you don't have to keep interacting with that person. And if you really just have this nagging sense that something isn't right, something isn't right. And Mm -hmm. when we're talking about a voluntary connection, like a friendship, you don't have to stay in things that aren't aligned with you. You don't have to stay in things that make you feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. If you, if you don't want to, there are plenty of other places to feel uncomfortable that will be focusing on like growth and evolution. But you know, we need safe spaces in our life. And if you consistently feel like a, a relationship is not a safe space, you're allowed to set it down and walk away.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well said. I really appreciate you, uh, coming out and, and coming out, <laughs> joining me and talking about this because, um, You know i know so many people who battle or or, or grapple with the guilt of letting go of some relationships that really just don't work for them Mm -hmm. Um, and i always tell them you know guilt goes away yeah
1: (laughs) we we don't have to make everything work yeah we we don't and
0: you know it brings up in uh just one last thing Um, in one of David Kessler's books, he's a big name in grief counseling, um, in one of his books about, uh, loss, he talks about how in the divorce section, he talks about how everybody thinks that a successful, uh, marriage is, um, till death do you part. And he says, but I, that's not true. You know, a a successful marriage can be, you know, six, uh, six years. Two years. It really depends on how you define success. And I think we can look at friendships quite the same way. It's like it was what it needed to be at the time. It doesn't mean that you have to keep it around.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. So I would say keep your friends close and invite your frenemies to uh, exit your life. <laughs>
0: yeah good thank you thank you so much for talking to us about this
1: thank you so much for having uh me on and yeah
0: all right take care Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in connecting with Heather or the guest today, please see the show notes for that info. If you'd like to be a guest on the Symmetry Sessions, the link to send us your request is also in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show and you'd like to show some support, buy me a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com/symmetrysesh. You can make a small donation to help keep the episodes coming. And when you buy me a coffee, you're supporting small business professionals and podcasters. Every donation helps me to get better podcasting equipment and network to find new and interesting guests. Don't miss an episode. The Symmetry Sessions launches every first Friday of the month. So make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time.